You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech fan number 149, Steve Wozniak loses his mind. Sony exits the PC business. No more Bitcoin in the App Store. What's going on? Wait a minute. What the heck is a sapphire crystal display? All this and more, Tech fan. And it is Tech Fan number 149. I'm Tim Robertson. And hey, hey, after a two week hiatus from each other, David Cohen. Oh my God, I thought I wasn't going to make it today. No, it <laughs> wasn't looking good for a little while there. Technically, how come the more urgently you want to do something, the worse it always goes with the computers? Oh, that's always the case, though, isn't it? Oh, of course, that's yeah. the case with anything. Yeah. I've got a, a truck broken down in my driveway, Julie's truck. And uh, not sure what's wrong with it. Got to take it under garage, uh, but finding the time to do that is a whole different matter. But I said uh, a while ago, I think I talked about it here on the show. I got rear-ended in my yeah. car. I still haven't taken that in to get it fixed because the truck hasn't been running right, mm. and you have to have at least one working vehicle. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, f- I feel your pain. I'm in fact I'm trading in my car tomorrow because yeah, I bought it just uh, just under a year ago. I bought it used, but with a, a manufacturer warranty. Yeah, uh, and a major part has failed on the uh, locking system. It has keyless entry, so on the passenger side now you can't get in or out of the car. And I took it into the garage and I said, "Oh, yeah, uh, that's not covered by the warranty. That would be six hundred and fifty pounds. It's about a thousand dollars. Wow, for a door handle." And I said, well, hang on a minute. I said, it's come by warranty. Oh, that's not covered. I said, well, where's the list of what isn't isn't covered? Oh, well, that's decided on a case-by-case basis. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds fair. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, I said, um, I'm not paying you that money. I said, I don't believe I owe it. So uh, we decided instead to get rid of the car. Can't say I blame you. Yeah. No. All right. You remember the uh, Samsung phone from yeah. Virgin Mobile that I had been playing with? Yeah, I still have it. I put a tiny Death Star on it, mm-hmm. and uh, Brooke plays it. Both the kids really like Tiny Death Star, but they can't play the same game because well, Cole just pushes things until things happen, and Brooke actually is trying to plan stuff out. So, on a couple of the iPhones, Cole's playing those. On a couple of the other iPhones, these are retired iPhones. Brooke's yeah. playing those, and I put it on the Samsung. So it was very unique looking. She knew exactly which one is hers. Because they get confused with the iPhones. They all look the same to them. Mm -hmm. And this damn phone just keeps rebooting itself over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So I finally uh, pulled the back of it off, pulled the battery, let it sit for 10 minutes, put the battery back in. Seems to be okay now, but it was just in this continuous loop. You couldn't do anything with it. Open source for the win, eh? Yeah. I've never seen that with an Apple device. Uh, well, I mean, I've seen them crash before. Yeah, I mean, there, there seems to be a bit of a bug with OS iOS seven at the moment. I I'm seeing my devices reset every now and again if they if they crash. Yeah, um, I've seen that, but this is it, it was a loop. It would yeah. completely shut down, restart, and because they put that Virgin Mobile crap on here, the the Virgin Mobile experience. 
the the regular Android would reboot, relaunch. Samsung would put their crap on there, their little spit and polish, and then the Virgin Mobile crap would launch, and that would take another two minutes. And finally, you would get to the desktop, if you will, the home screen. And as soon as you tried to do anything, boop, restarted again. So, it, yeah, and I, this thing, when it restarts, it takes about five minutes. Yeah, I, I the mind boggles really about how companies can think that that people will put up with this sort of stuff nowadays. But I may, maybe if you're in only in the market for a cheap phone, you have to put it up, put up with it. I don't know. It's. Uh, you know, if I would have paid for this, I'd be upset right now. I mean, this yeah. is a phone. You can't wait five minutes between reboots. But what would happen if, if, you'd, if you'd actually bought it? You'd go back to your carrier, and you'd, wherever you got it from, and you'd say, oh, this phone's not good. And they'd go, yeah, F you. <laughs> Pretty much. They'd go, yeah. They would, they would, what they wouldn't say is, oh, my God, how terrible. Here, let us give you a new one. I don't know. I don't I, I've it. had this experience where... I have walked into a place with the problem. They just took care of it. Apple is yeah. really good with that. I w- I'll give credit where cr- credit's due. If you go into an Apple store, they really do try to go above and beyond. Now, I've heard horror stories. Everybody has. Yeah. But for the most part, I've always heard good things about the Apple store. But then you're paying a premium for that. You're paying for a I'd rather pay it. I'd well, I would it. too. Absolutely. I, you know, it's the fact I have many Apple devices uh that I rely on for that, but uh, a lot of people don't. The problem is if you don't, um, if you do buy a cheap Android phone, then you're kind of your SOL, you know. If something goes wrong with it, then you're kind of expected to do it yourself. Well, as we record this podcast, it's being recorded on a Mac, and I'm looking at my show notes on my Nexus. (laughs) My Nexus, what is it, Nexus 7 tablet. So that's where I got my notes, and the show's being recorded on on a Mac. So I'm diverse today. Yep. It's better than doing it on my iPhone for the notes because it's bigger, but it's mm-hmm. smaller than an iPad, a full-size iPad. So it works good for this. And let's be honest, this has kind of been a crazy couple weeks in tech, David. Just crazy. Yeah, we had kind of had that slow January where there was nothing except CES, which, you know, as, as I think I talked about with Owen a couple of weeks ago, CES is, is kind of what it is, but it's not really a bellwether for, for the industry. It's kind of its own unique thing. Yep. Uh, and then after that, everyone's kind of gone acquisition crazy and hiring crazy, and uh, it's all been going on. Yeah, uh, the big news I think this week, and we're not really a news place, but there's so much so much coming out in tech news. We just have to talk about this, man. Sony is exiting the PC business. That's really big news. The last time I kind of thought something so seismic was happening, uh, not so much when Compact was bought by HP because they were kind of a withered thing at that point anyway, but when um, when IBM sold off to Lenovo, yeah, kind of at that time you you thought that was ten years ago though. Yeah, it was, but it, at that time you know you thought, oh well, this is kind of the you know IBM's getting out of the PC business. This is this is a, a change and. You know what's probably going to be a brand name, and and you won't you won't ever see those things again. To be fair to Lenovo, they've done a pretty good job of maintaining the ThinkPads as kind of the force they were. In fact, I look around nowadays. I was on a train a couple of weeks ago, um, and you kind of walk through the carriages, and the vast majority of the PCs you see on a train in the UK are, uh, if they're not Macs, then they are Lenovo ThinkPads. Yeah, they're good little uh, computers. 
Well, they're they're very very popular among the business set. Yep. Uh, we we all have Lenovo's here in in my office too. Um, I wonder whether Vio will stay the same way because Vio has kind of been a it, it used to be like the apple of PCs and yep. it's not anymore. No, <laughs> it hasn't been like that for a long time. I don't know. I mean, they're spinning it off. They're selling it to uh, another company, and they're going to continue the brand. There's no guarantee of success. There's a reason that Sony's getting out of it. I don't know. Uh, LG is also consider uh, considering abandoning the PC business, which I didn't know LG was even in the PC business. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever seen an LG notebook or desktop, ever. No, Have you? I've seen I've seen monitors. I don't think I've ever seen. Um, Maybe that's what they mean. I've, I've seen their monitors, but I've never seen a CPU. I'm, I'm just wondering whether I may have seen the occasional LG uh, laptop on eBay, but mm. it, they're certainly not a mainstream brand. And they're certainly not here uh, no. in the UK a mainstream brand for for PC supply. They are, you know, televisions and stuff like that. I've got an LG yeah. television in my uh, workspace, my office, if you will. That's hooked up to a cable box and all the video game systems, and it's a good TV. In fact, I've talked about it before. It was supposed to go to a hotel because I've got options on here that most people don't have. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I've never seen them in the PC aisle of Best Buy. I've never seen anybody with a PC laptop that came from LG. So I don't know. The thing is, what is the market for PCs now? I mean, that's kind of the the. The bigger question, Apple is gaining market share in laptops and desktops and, you know, traditional computers. They're gaining, lap, lap, uh, <laughs> I can't talk now. Uh, they're gaining traction there. They're, they're getting more and more people to buy. And the rest of the, and of course, their margins are like 25 to 30%. The rest of the PC market, these companies are abandoning that business. What's the difference? Is it just... The operating system, Mac OS? Is well, it that I think Apple is, is able to charge a premium and they're not and they can't compete? What's going on? I, yeah, I, I think I think um, certainly the Mac is going from strength to strength, but I think you do have to keep that in perspective. I mean, business, a lot of businesses are not buying Apple, uh, and I suspect that the, a lot of the volume in PC sales is businesses because... As a consumer, you can do without a, a PC nowadays. Um, you know, if you have a tablet, an iPad, or something else, then you can. Particularly now, a lot of the peripheral support is there. You can actually use a tablet like that for pretty much most of the things that, except for maybe for gaming, that people tend to use a PC for at home. So I can imagine there's quite a lot of um, of households out there now who who. I've, if they have a PC, they're not using it, and they're certainly not looking about looking into buying a new one. But if you're in business, you need to have a laptop, and it's hard to get away from that. And so I suspect the volumes in PC sales are in uh, the business, and, and businesses tend to stick with the platform they know and they have software for, which, in the vast majority of cases, is going to be is going to be PC, uh, Windows PCs. So I suspect that's where the bulk of of that those markets are. Um, Having said that, I think for anybody who does want a computer outside of business, they probably are looking pretty hard at Macs uh, because you there get that. Businesses looking at Macs too, don't. Oh, don't uh, oh yeah, no, I, but but I, I I'm I'm not I'm not discounting those, but I think I think with a with a a level head on it, I think we'd all have to accept that the vast that, that 
the majority of those will be Windows PCs, not not Macs. Uh, those 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 companies that tend to go for all Macs tend to be smaller businesses, perhaps more niche businesses or media orientated businesses. I don't think if you go to a big, like an insurance company or a bank or anything like that, you'll find them all running Macs. I think you'll mostly find them running PCs. Yeah, well, they're they're running PCs and banks, but they're not running Windows. Well, that's the, here's the question, though. I think what's really um, put the knife into the PC industry, even though it was already struggling, is the fact that Windows 8 has not been successful. Um, I'm dealing with clients all the time who are, in fact, I, I, I was sent a series of recommendations out to a, a, a client of mine yesterday who's still on Windows XP, and they've suddenly woken up and realized that Windows XP support finishes in a couple of months, and they're kind of screwed, and they want to know what to do. Um, XP, you know, that's I, so sad. I had I had to say to them, I said, I said you've got to get those PCs off the internet because come April 9th, which is the day after XP support finishes, you're going to see a whole load of exploits come out of the internet for XP that hackers have been holding back until Microsoft won't patch them anymore. Um, and I've said you've got to get those off off the internet. So, but the, but that shows the level of conservatism you can have in a in a, in a in an organisation. Um, and uh, I think I think that has the fact that the operating system that Microsoft offers today is something that's not attractive to a lot of businesses has really hampered not only Microsoft sales but also PC sales generally. Yeah, it's not a good situation in the PC market, and a lot of that could probably be laid at the feet of Microsoft. So when Steve Ballmer decided to step down, whether it was voluntarily or involuntarily, and I think it was the latter, but no one's really saying anything, although he strongly hinted at that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were kind of looking forward to a new Microsoft, a Microsoft that would learn to change and adapt, and that would really take someone coming into Microsoft to really change the culture of that company because a lot of pundits, and I think you and I are an agreement that it's the culture of Microsoft that is a major problem there, and that needs to be addressed before anything else. Mm-hmm. And we've all read the accounts of people that left Microsoft saying it's just working for Microsoft, the the cutthroat, the screw another department over to make your own department look better. It's really hurting the company. And so with Bomber leaving and someone new coming in, maybe you're finally going to get that change. That's really, really needed at Microsoft. I, do you agree with that? Uh, I would certainly, from the outside, it appears that way, yes. Yeah. So what do they do? Yeah. They, they hire they hire an insider. They yeah. hire a current guy. Satya Nadella. He's been with Microsoft for over 20 years. He's the new CEO. He's asked, uh, and, and Bill Gates has agreed to step down from the board, but Bill Gates is going to be more active leading new product development, spending 20% of his time back at Microsoft. What the hell? Are you serious? Well, in this world of everything Microsoft has been doing for the last 10 years is getting flushed down the toilet and customers are leaving them in droves, not the business side, like you say, but that's because businesses are entrenched, but that's even changing too uh, on a grand scale. Businesses are really starting to look at phones and tablets and Microsoft has no real presence there at all. No competitive products at all. So it's all Android and iOS. That's what businesses are starting to look at, David. Yeah. And what does Microsoft do? They bring up a 20-year insider 
who's not going to change anything. He's going to well, bring back Bill Gates, who was, I think, half the problem. Well, let's 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 play devil's advocate for a minute here. Okay, what I would say in support of this decision is that this guy has been heading up um, enterprise services, so effectively Windows Azure, which, to be fair, five years ago, I don't think anybody ever thought Microsoft would make a success. So Windows Azure is their, is their uh, platform that's taken all of their enterprise software services, their Windows servers, their SQL servers, their Exchange and everything like that, and has turned that into cloud service, effectively con- competitive to Amazon Web Services. So you can now go today, and if you don't want to set up your own servers to run uh, Microsoft Windows um, internally, what you can do is you can buy that from, um, you can rent that from the cloud, from Windows Azure. Um, and Azure has actually been a, a fairly quiet and steady success. It's, as I say, it was something that a lot of people didn't think that, that Microsoft could achieve. Um, Azure is what um, Office 365, which is their, their play for renting Office to consumers, is based on. We use Office 365 here in my company for our mail support. We basically we run our mail server in the cloud now rather than running our own exchange services. And while it's, you know, it's early days for that and it could be more reliable than, uh, certainly at the moment, it's not quite as reliable as running our own server. The point is our IT guys don't have to spend a lot of time administering Exchange and they kind of like that. So the fact that he's headed up that division and taken something which I would imagine internally at Microsoft a lot of people saw as a threat and he's managed to make it a success, says to me that this guy must have a bit of backbone. And I would say that probably that type of business, which is hosting their software in the cloud, is the is Microsoft's future. So, um, yeah, part of the future. Well, yes, I'll come on to that. I, I think from that point of view, um, it's a success. I suspect, and the, this is the flip side of what I think about this, I suspect that the failure, the perceived failure of devices like the Microsoft Surface uh, and then the Windows 8 more generally means that Microsoft at the moment is currently a bit afraid of the consumer side of their business. And I suspect that's why they've um, they've sought Bill Gates to come back in and act as a technology advisor to help them on the consumer side. I am unsure whether that is a good role for him or not. I don't think Bill Gates has the i think he's he's one of these guys who if you ask him what's going to happen 15 years in the future he's very good but i think you've asked yeah, him what's but gonna it's very generalized stuff too i've well, gone yeah. back and listened to that and it was the same thing a bunch of people bill gates is very well read but he doesn't yeah. know what the hell's going on with the youth culture and technology nowadays bill gates well, this is it this is, a, I think, if you ask him what's happening two years in the future, I don't think he's going to give you no, a coherent answer. No, And that's that's Microsoft's problem. This is a guy that didn't let his kids get iPods and made them get Zunes. Yes, I know all your yeah. friends have this product that's much better, but you have to show support for daddy and use this piece of shit brown one that nobody wants and half the music doesn't work on that and oh, too well, bad. His, his, if I were in, um, um, I can't even pronounce his name in this new guy's position. Oh, Him and Bill Gates. Satya position. Nadella. Satya, Satya Nadella. If I was in Satya Nadella's position and Bill Gates' position right now, just starting out for this, I would say they, I would say, be them saying to each other, 
you know what, we haven't got this consumer thing and we need to have a consumer play because consumer is what drives business now. Yep. Apple has, has capitalized on that. The fact that we were talking about Apple's now being um, featured as computers for, for whole businesses is something you didn't see five, ten years ago. No way. You would see you would see Macs in the maybe in the media departments of companies, in the graphics design or perhaps the marketing departments and nowhere else. And now you do see whole businesses that have Macs. So I would if I were them, I would be saying, we need a guy. Just the same way that that Google just acquired Nest and they got Tony Fidel, I'd be I'd be them saying, looking around saying, we need a guy. We need a guy who knows this business, who has track record in this consumer side of stuff, who can take what we've done with Surface and everything and, and turn it into something that's cool that people want. Mm-hmm. And if I were them, I'd be looking at Scott Forrestal. You think so? Yeah, I'd be throwing money at him like it was going out of fashion. I don't know if I he would do it. That's the sort. I don't know whether he'd do it or not, but I think that's the sort of guy they need. If I Microsoft wants a hope of, of really sorting out what's going on on the consumer side of their business. And I'm not talking about the game side because I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Big as games is, it's a sideshow. Sure. It's, fra- it's a fraction of Microsoft's business. And what they need to do is they need to do what Apple does and get the mind share that says, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I have an iPhone. I have an iPad. Um, then I'm going to think about buying a MacBook, and then I'm going to go to my business and say, why can't I use this here? No, That's but what- Microsoft owning the Xbox platform, that is, that's the key for me. That's the one thing that you can get the youth culture to start getting them to buy your other products. But they're terrible when it comes to, hey, you like the Xbox? You'll really like this tablet. Yeah, but it's I the don't, ex- well, It's the, the portable is, Xbox. Yeah, I don't think that being known in the consumer space as a gaming company is going to is going to get but Microsoft's to not really world. placing the Xbox as a gaming thing anymore. It they're trying yeah, to place it as something different, something more. They're trying to place it as that, but it isn't. We all know, you and I know what sure. it is. Absolutely. It's not, it's not a multimedia platform. It's not uh, the next generation computing. It's a gaming system. And <laughs> the whole world knows it's a gaming system. And the problem is you can't say, oh, I've got this really cool gaming system. That means that um, I, you can't trans- translate that into saying that Windows 9 or Windows 10 or whatever is the thing you want in your business. Yeah, but you can not You can because youth is driving technology now, David. Yeah, they you really know what? are. Youth, youth may be asking for it, but they don't pay the checks in these companies. No, not they don't, but when they, companies. these companies start bringing this new generation of workers in and they're doing yeah, but- their work on phones and iPads... That's not, you know what, that, the point is, is that making the strategic decisions to get to the level where you make the strategic decisions in a medium to large company is going to take these next generations 15 to 20 years. And Microsoft doesn't have that long. You're right there. They don't. So do you think hiring this guy, bringing him up was, in our uneducated opinion, the right thing, the wrong thing, a step backwards, a, I think, a I think lateral he's move? More, I think he's more despite the fact he's been there a long time, I think he's demonstrated that he's more aligned with the way the market is moving than perhaps other people in their, in that business is. Yeah. I, there is a, there is a good, uh, there's a query in my mind about whether he was second or third choice. And in fact, they couldn't get the people they really wanted from outside. Could be. Maybe they, maybe they did want Alan Mulally or somebody like that and they just couldn't get them. And so they eventually they said, well, who's the top guy inside that we want? Oh, it's this guy. Well, let's have him then. Well, maybe. I'll be, 
maybe you could be absolutely right. He could have been their first choice. We'll probably never know unless no. someone comes out and says anything, and that would be foolish. I wish the guy all the the best. To be honest, I want Microsoft to succeed because, again, I want innovation. I want new things. I want better things than I have right now. Um, I love my Mac. I really do. But if there was a better computer and a better operating system, I'd be one of the first ones to jump on it. I don't have any loyalty think, to a yeah. brand anymore. I want no, what's I, cool and new and different and works. I, I'll tell you that as, as somebody who uses a PC on perhaps a more regular basis than you do, I like Windows 8. I really do. I think well, it's okay. Well, a lot okay. of people say it's the most Mac-like operating system they start windows 8 is still just a continuation of uh, vista yeah it is but the point is is that once you get used to the fact that it's different it's actually not too bad and and i've said on this podcast before i like windows phone i like it a lot and i use a windows tablet too so i use all of these things i use them day by day and i find them fine the pro- part of the problem with microsoft is their is the way they're perceived in the market and the lousy, lousy way they've marketed themselves. That, yes, I agree with you there. But you kept saying they're fine and you like them, they're fine. Their tablets and their phones are not better and they're not even competitive with an iPhone or an iPad. They're just not. No, they're they're not. I agree with that. And the operating system and their computers that they sell are not as competitive as a MacBook a MacBook Pro, a MacBook Air, an iMac. They don't so they're not doing anything to really try to compete. That's, and that's true, what they but need. They not, need the point a, is, a is difference that, yeah, maker. They're not as bad as the market perceives them to be. That's the that's kind I of I agree with you there, back, but that's yeah? that's kind of, that's that's not, not a that's not a good thing though. Well, yeah, we're not as crappy not as, as you think we are. It's not as it's not as desperate as many other companies in the industry. No, but that's only because the they've got is, a difference all their between, money from 1995 when they released Windows 95. Still, the, there's a different, but the, there's a different in terms of your your sort of position in the market. There's a difference from being lousy and everyone knowing you're lousy and actually being lousy, as opposed to everyone thinking you're lousy but actually being pleasantly surprised when they try it and find you're not. But the problem that, is they're not trying. Because you've got trying. somewhere to go. Well, You're they right. need to, that, um, they've got a new direction now. They've got a new guy, uh, and it's up to him to try and infuse their perception with something better than what they have now. Yeah. Um, and, the, and part of the problem, to be honest, is I think they need to stop trying so hard. One of the reasons that, in my belief, that Apple is so successful is because they concentrate on what their message is, and they go, don't give a damn what anybody else is doing. Well, they align their message to, to the product itself really really exactly. well yeah. and microsoft doesn't do that very well but they do, they don't what they don't what apple doesn't do is respond to what the competitors are doing apple does what it thinks is best and if they if that means that that they don't measure up in terms of specs or what pundits think or anything to their competitors they don't care well, you know, they'll happily use at least that, that perception use, is there yeah well uh, no i think it's it, it it stands up in in some respect in that they'll produce a seven inch tablet like the iPad Mini that doesn't have the high resolution of its competitor the Google Nexus and they'll price it more expensive, and they'll say yeah but we don't care because we think that's what the market wants we think that's what our customers want and we're not considering what they're doing. I think Microsoft needs to adopt a little bit more of that approach, which is to stop saying we're better than everyone else we're better than everyone else. They just need to say this is what it is, and let people take it on that basis they, there's an air of 
whiff of desperation about their marketing always that um that to me it, you know it, people pick up on it they're not stupid and they, they realize they're trying so hard and and immediately well they're trying so hard yeah, they desperate. must be trying to fool me it must be lousy yeah and so they don't buy it i think they should hire john hodgman to do his pc thing minus the mac guy just have him in front of a white screen talking about the virtues of windows people would think it was an apple commercial <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With that, we're going to take a quick break, uh, listen to an ad from another show right here in the Stoplight Network, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. They're conjuring with our minds. I wasn't ready. I think I think it would sell, like, insane amounts. I am the devil. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you heard it here first, folks. There's going to be a new, cheap, colorful iPhone. The low end will be three ninety nine, and the high end will be four ninety nine. Okay, so you think in the fall. So if yep. they've not released a cheap iPhone by Christmas, mm-hmm. I can go over there and punch your face. Stand by to stand by, and we'll be right back. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> Back here on Tech Fan 149. Again, I am Tim Robertson. He is David Cohen. We'd love to get feedback from you guys. The easiest way to do it is to send us an email. It's Tim or David, either one of those, at techfanpodcast.com. Uh, conversely, you could go up to the website, techfanpodcast.com, and leave a message right underneath the show notes, and uh, we'll read them right here on the show. We've got one from Eric Diaz, we'll get to here in a little bit. Um, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Last week I did uh, the solo show, and I strongly hinted about another podcast that I hope is going to come together. Um, obviously, David knows all about it. <laughs> and uh, it is coming together, and it should be launching within a week, I hope. We just have Excellent. to uh, get the final contract written. All the small details are now worked out. There's some technical hurdles to get over. And uh, once that's done and the contracts are yeah. signed, uh, it should be a six-month contract. Think, I, still, I still think you're very brave for doing it. You I think mean, Who'd so? have thought in this day and age with Edward Snowden and everything that you could do a podcast about the inside of the NSA and well, get away with that? Well, you know, you know? It's, it's who you know, David, and you just have to be brave. <laughs> and um, you have to have a lot of dirt on people, to be honest. Uh, well, I can understand that because otherwise, you know, I can imagine one day you'd be sat at the kitchen table and something be a red laser beam on your forehead, and that'll be it. <laughs> so once again, I will be a professional podcaster. Isn't that kind of strange? Well, using the word professional association with you, definitely. Well, yeah, I would. That's definitely brave. So there's well, a couple other things I wanted to talk about, and then we'll get to the email from Eric Diaz, David. Uh, mm-hmm. No more Bitcoin apps in the uh, Apple's App Store. What's going on there? I mean, I've been reading all about this Bitcoin. You talked about it probably a year ago here on the podcast, yeah. building a Bitcoin machine. Are you rich yet, by the way? <laughs> you know what? I've built the machine, but I haven't actually started doing any mining yet. So. <laughs> well, might as well not even try now. <laughs> so, yeah, that ship has sailed. Yeah. I'll, um, I, I'm thinking about starting my own currency. You know, I, I think I think the uh, the Cohen coin could be a big success. The coin coin, why not? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they Apple pulled all these Bitcoin apps out of the App Store now. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me because I, I think with what happened with um, Silk Road, uh, Silk Road was a kind of an underground website where you could buy drugs, prostitutes, assassinations. 
pretty much everything in the seamy belly of the criminal underworld was available online on Silk Road. And a lot of people bought and sold stuff on there in Bitcoin because it's um, effectively untraceable. Um, I think with with that kind of reputation, Bitcoin's getting this reputation as being, you know, the the uh, currency du jour for the criminals, uh, and also has a reputation of being very volatile. It doesn't surprise me that Apple's decided that perhaps it's not a good idea to have to be associated with that in the app store, and yep. uh, has, therefore has pulled pulled the apps out of I it. I didn't know that they you could get and pay for assassinations on uh, Silk Road via Bitcoin. It's well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I was I was operating there for a while. It was very, hold very lucrative. I need, hold on, I need to update my resume here real quick. Hold on. Uh. <laughs> no, the, the thing is, because it's uh, Bitcoin, because you can pay in electronic transactions, uh, it's completely untraceable. And, you know, what What does your average criminal like, but un- like more than untraceable cash? I'm, so, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why the Silk Road got shut down, because obviously uh, governments don't tend to, they tend to frown that sort of thing. They view it as competition. They, you know, yeah. We're the uh, only ones that are, assa- yeah. that are allowed to kill anyone. assassination is, is a state-sponsored activity. It's not something you want to see. Well, they, to be honest, though, and to be fair to them, David, they do spend a whole lot of money on tanks and sniper rifles and drones. And drones. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good at killing people. Um, <laughs> they don't want anybody else to infringe on that territory. Yeah. Absolutely. Is Steve Wozniak losing his mind? I don't think so. You know what? I, I actually, I, you, when, uh, when you raise this as something that you wanted to talk about, and I wasn't aware of that story until you passed it over to me. So the story is that Steve Wozniak, uh, yesterday or, or the day before was interviewed by Wired and part of the interview. And he, you know, Steve does these things where he goes to these, kind of geeky uh, electronic shows and trade shows and, and, and seminar events. And he's always willing to talk to anybody. He's a very affable guy, apparently. Um, and he was interviewed by Wired, and he said that he thought that Apple, as a sideline, might want to create um, a cheap Android phone. It's retarded. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'd say two things about that. I mean, first of all, there's the obvious thing, which is, uh, you know, Steve Wozniak is not, uh, is not a guy who's involved with Apple really at all anymore. He, yes, he's a founder of the company. He's very rich as a result, but he hasn't um, done anything his, in tech in forty years. His yeah, his and and without I mean the guy is a is an not, analog electronics genius. No, you know the, without without. No, hang on a minute. Let's be fair here, right? <laughs> before you start out. calling start before you start calling him names, right? <laughs> Because I, 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 I actually, un, unlike yourself, I gave this a bit of thought, okay? So let me put my argument across before you shoot it down and call him a nut, which is cheap. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he is an electronics genius, but he's not today's electronics genius. He's 1970s electronics genius. Uh, without him, the, uh, the Apple, well, Apple wouldn't exist. Mm-mm. But without Steve Jobs, um, Apple if, if you know, without if Steve Wozniak had existed and Steve Jobs hadn't, then Apple would probably be two or three prototype boards and a footnote in history. Yep. And it was St- Steve Jobs who saw the potential of selling it and turning it into Apple Computer that then became Apple Inc. and uh, brought us all the stuff we've got today. It's fair to say, and I think 
even Steve Wozniak, if he was sat here across from me, would agree with this, that his skills do not match well with the way computers and electronics are created today. He was a guy who could take various bits of parts and wire them together in a way to do the things they were never designed to do. But he certainly is not the um, the wizard of the amazing surface-mounted integrated components we have today and that, that go into your average No, life. but I, I think he would disagree I, with you on some of those points. I think he... he I, I, think, I think he understands how those things work. Yep. I don't think he could sit down and build them himself today. Well, no, um, I mean, the, the, obviously not. Apple, without a lot of partners, couldn't do yeah. what they do today. That, what I, that goes well, what I'm saying, saying is, I'm, what I'm trying to go to is, is, is the validity of his perspective on the tech market. Because he can't design and build these things himself, his, his perspective is that of somebody who's as rich as hell, so can buy whatever he wants and plays with all the toys he wants. And then because he was involved in the industry back at the beginning, is able to look at those products through that lens. I think when you hear his comments, you have to read those comments in light of that. And I believe when he says Apple should make an Android phone, he's saying, I like Android phones. They're pretty cool. I'd like an Apple one. I don't think he's saying anything more than that. And I don't think the weight of his arguments um, are driven in really much insight into how today's consumer electronics industry works. It's it's on back on the basis of what he was thinking when he created the Apple One, which is, here's something I would like. Oh, and look, I have the skills to do it, so I'm going to go and build it. Today, he doesn't have the skills to build that phone, but he knows that Apple does, so he says, I wish Apple would build it. I don't think his comments are meant to be taken in his mind any more seriously than that. And that brings me to my second point about what he says, which is I think he knows that um, people come and talk to him because of his history. And I think he also realizes that, you know, nobody should take him seriously because he's not directly involved in the industry anymore. And we also know this guy's a huge prankster. He started his career building uh, freaking blue boxes because he thought it was funny and had running a joke line from his from an answering machine in his dorm room yeah this guy loves pranking people and i can't help thinking every time i see him saying something incredibly controversial to a reporter that when he then sees it go around the internet as steve wozniak has said this what do we think about this and people start debating about whether it's important whether it's real and whether they should do it and whether his He's laughing his backside off, thinking, ah, you guys, you're listening to me, and I don't know what I'm doing. I really think there's an element of that there. Could he be. Deliberately says, he, I, I, he deliberately I think he, says things that are controversial yeah. because he knows collectively the internet will therefore lose its mind over what he's said. But he's very earnest. I mean, I've seen him in, in person many times speaking. I've met him before. Yeah. I'm friends with him yeah, on Facebook. But, <laughs> I mean, you know. But you know what? You know what? You know what, Tim? Best way to sell a joke is to sell it hard. Yeah, but he's not a comedian. That means being earnest. You can't. No, he's not a comedian, but he is a prankster. And the the best way to deliver a prank is to deliver it with a straight face. And he, this isn't the first time he's done stuff like this either. Uh, you know, I still think he's a nut job. 
Oh, well, he could be. He could be a nut. He could be an eccentric. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing, by the here, way. No, I, I, here in Britain, we have a fine tradition of very rich, eccentric people doing odd things and saying odd things just because they can and they don't care. And you know what? To be celebrated. The world needs to lighten up sometimes. Yeah, so, your phone uh, is too it, close to your microphone. But Get it, getting a little GSM buzz. <laughs> I'm sat at a conference table. I just slid it. The conference table is a little more polished than I thought, and it slid right to the other end of the table and fell on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you didn't crack your glass, and that's the, the last thing I want to talk about before uh, we get to Eric Diaz's email. Mm-hmm. And for the last couple months, I've been reading about these reports with Apple partnering up with a company called GT Advanced, which, honestly, I was playing that last night on the Xbox. It was a great game. Um, doesn't it sound like a video game though? GT Advanced. Yeah, it does. Yeah. This is a company who is um, their their business basically is this really cool new technology that a lot of people have been guessing is going to make its debut in a big bad way on the next Apple phones, even though they're on the current Apple phones. And I'll explain this in a minute as well. It's called a sapphire crystal display. Now, when we say sapphire, we're not talking about the sapphires you dig out of the ground. Uh, that would make iPhones cost a billion dollars. These are synthetic, and they're grown, and they're polished, and they're cut, and they can be used as a glass-like substance. Except, David, there's one big difference between even Gorilla Glass and the sapphire crystal display. You know what that is, of course. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's very, very hard. In fact, the only thing harder than a sapphire crystal, uh, a sapphire crystal is a diamond. Yeah. There's been, uh, some videos making the rounds and it shows people taking like a cinder block on its side, the rough edge and rubbing it on an iPhone that has a sapphire crystal screen over the glass and it does not scratch it. The, the brick itself just kind of disintegrates as a cinder block will when you rub it against anything. And it's the, mm. the display is just full of all this crap. They wipe it off, and it's perfect. No scratches at all. Now, yeah. the problem traditionally has been it's very expensive to produce. And to produce it to, in uh... the quantity that Apple would need to put it on their phones, that's a pretty big investment. But Apple's already using this. This is the same stuff that they use over the the uh, camera on the back of an iPhone. That is a sapphire crystal. And and very expensive watches tend to have a sapphire crystal yep. face on them. Yep. Yeah. But Apple is now teamed with this company. They put billions of dollars in this facility in Mesa, Arizona. And simply looking at what's already been ordered and what's already up and running, they've got over 50 machines that can do this now with what they have right now they can push out between 200 or i'm sorry 150 to 200 million screens of five inch per year yep that's this is this is this is the i mean when people say oh apple doesn't innovate anymore this is when they're full of rubbish basically because this is exactly what apple does yep. they don't they don't necessarily produce you know a phone that's a sphere or 
anything like that. But what they're doing behind the scenes is they're they're pushing the edges of material science in order to make products that are are far and way better than anything their competitors do. And this is, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if one, once they've got this down, that this thing is not just the screen. It wouldn't surprise me if this is the whole phone. It wouldn't That's surprise the me The whole either. thing yep. is effectively a rectangular um, structure made out of this stuff. Because this stuff is, uh, is harder and, and you can't destroy it easily. It's harder than the side of your iPhone 5S, the metal. People, this yeah, is people, harder. People don't realize what hardness means. Right. Uh, no, I'm not going to make any jokes here. But the point about the, this, when they talk about hardness, it's actually a, a, a scale. And you're right. Uh, Diamond is at the top, and uh, sapphire is right below it in terms of the of this this Mohs scale of hardness. The point is, the higher you are up the scale, that means the only thing that can scratch it is something that's higher up the scale than you are. Correct. So the only thing that can scratch sapphire, and when they say sapphire glass, they're not talking about glass that's been infused with this sapphire no. stuff. It is a sheet of crystalline artificial synthetic sapphire. That's completely the clear and transparent. The, oh yeah, the only thing that could scratch it would be if you've got a piece of diamond and you scratch it with the diamond, because the diamond would be harder than the sapphire. Well, Nothing else. No, well, piece another of piece of well, another piece of sapphire, the, or another piece of sapphire, right. or or you know, if you subject it to so much force that it shatters, right? And you that's drop actually it from an airplane. The, that's one of the flaws in in synthetic sapphire. Traditionally, has been that it's a, a because of the way it's made. Effectively, they they kind of grow it in a vat of um, of of liquid of molten liquid. Uh, molten metal um, because of the way it's made it's under some some high internal strain which means it can be prone to shattering and i presume that's one of the things this company's working on is trying to not only do it cost effectively but doing it in a way that it's not going to shatter if you drop it right um you know that that if they can perfect it and produce it at such large size five inches is very large for a single crystal it is if they can do that and also be able to, to do it so they can machine it and, and work it into a device without without it breaking, then that will be a, a serious step forward in material science and will make every other phone on the market look obsolete in terms of its resistance to damage. Not only that, the, go back to the science part for a minute. What they're doing for a better piece of glass on your phone will have a direct translation from a science side to glass in your car or glass in your home so when a hurricane's coming you don't have to put boards over your glass because it's not going to shatter because your glass is harder than the wood yeah this kind of science the last time we had a company or an institution doing stuff like this was back in the 50s and 60s and it was nasa that's what Apple is doing by investing in this stuff for consumers' products. Now, it used to be yeah. NASA would develop this stuff and it would trickle down to the consumer industry. It's absolutely the opposite now. Companies like Apple that's investing in material sciences is trickling upwards. And you start to see this yeah. kind of technology in the space program, in the private sector, when it comes to car windows and the automotive industries, home industries for uh, windows in your home. Uh, it's almost unlimited what they could really do with this if they perfect the science. And Apple is investing One, yeah. billions of dollars in this science to make it a realistic thing. And to yeah. me, that's uh, awesome. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the places this is used is in armoured cars. Yep. So uh, for shatter-resistant windows and armoured cars. So you basically, you, you, the, yeah, the, the end result of what this is, is you could have a, a car windscreen that is uh, bulletproof, uh, that is da- that is damage proof. So you know, you, we've all had it where we drive driving down the road and the stone flicks up from the truck in front of us, and all of a sudden you've got a shattered windscreen. Yep. And you've got to replace it. That would be a thing of the past. Yep. You know? If if they really perfect it, though, David, it could go farther than that. What if the the body panels themselves are made of this stuff? Absolutely. It doesn't yeah. have to be suppose, transparent. It could be yeah. painted. Suppose suppose you don't. Well, not that as well. Suppose you um, suppose you want a sunroof on your car. Yep. Instead of having what you have today, which is a, a sheet of steel, which then is cut out, and you have to have compromised the strength of it by having a, a glass panel put in, it has to be sealed, and that sort of thing. Basically, the whole roof of the car is made of a single sheet of glass. Well, you keep saying glass, sapphire crystal. You know what I mean. I do. I think it's going to be unlimited what this kind of technology could lead to, and I really look forward to it. And. These are the kind of technologies, David, that we kind of started tech fan to drool about. Not the latest and greatest from whatever company, but this kind of thing that could really change a lot of different technologies. And I I love talking about this. Just just looking at the potential of stuff like this. Your laptops could be made of this stuff. I mean, and because it's synthetic... You could literally have a complete sphere made of this stuff. I mean, it, imagine imagine that uh, you, we always like to reduce power in our laptops. So when, imagine a, a MacBook Air that instead of having an uh, aluminium back on the screen, it has a sapphire a sapphire uh, back to the screen, or so all or, we, all or the, the entire screen. Need, yeah, but so all of a sudden the, the back is transparent. You don't need to have it backlit if you're in daylight. Because it can just take light from the outside, or uh, or if you do have it backlit, it's if, with a much lower power LED because because it can supplement it with with light from the from the from the surrounding. Uh, right, but the front and back is all just one piece, David. With a and they slide the electronics inside of it. Yeah, I mean the. It's really cool to think what we could have in another few years, and everyone yeah. likes to try to figure out where technology is going. Well, this is a starting point right here. This type of technology is going to be made uh, very popular by a company like Apple for the iPhone, but it's going to grow beyond that. And if Apple is smart, they're going to be in that. That's the business that they want to be in. They want to be a partner with a company like, uh, what was it, Ken, GT Advanced. And uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's pretty cool. Very cool. So go ahead. Let's go to uh, the email from uh, Eric Diaz titled, The Beautiful Apple Thing You Can't Open. Right. I'm going to have to go and retrieve my phone because that's where the the document is. It's now on the floor. Too funny. Sliding his iPhone across a, a very polished table. And having it fall off the other end. That cracks me up. Now he's trying to get his headphones back on. Are we there yet? He's trying to clip to my earlobe. Ow! Ow! That hurt. 
here we go. So, no, this is... No, we don't hear you hardly at all, David. Let's try it again. How's that? No, that's even worse. See? He messed it all up. His audio is working fine. I bust my headphones. He, he, throw, he threw his phone across the room in frustration. Now... Now we can hear you now. Now, now you can hear me. Okay. Yeah. So the subject from Eric is the beautiful Apple thing that you can't open. I've been using Apple computers, iPhones, iPods, iPads, etc. since 2006. I bought my first MacBook in 2008 and I still have it, although the driver says it needs to be repaired and disk utility says it can't repair it and the battery says it needs to be replaced. My wife's white MacBook is also saying the same thing about the hard drive. I have backups of her computer, and the MacBook is not my primary, so if it goes, I don't mind. I've been looking to replace both since I don't think fixing them after six years and being behind two OSs and soon three is a sound investment, but I'm having a hard time doing it for the following reason. Macs are now virtually unrepairable and unupgradable, if that is even a word. For example, I tried to replace the battery on my brother's MacBook Pro from 2010, only to find that I need a tri-wing screwdriver. Why in God's green earth can't Apple put a freaking Phillips screw there? I would love a MacBook Air, but the RAM is soldered and I have to pay extra at purchase or deal with it for the time I use the computer. Same thing with the retinas, those are pretty much sealed. I forget about the battery because that is glued to the point that you have to buy the entire top chassis of the computer with the battery glued in. This is great if you have repair shops in every corner or an Apple store in a nearby city. Here in Puerto Rico, I have a few repair shops far from where I live and work and no Apple store. I understand the full philosophy behind this to make things prettier and lighter, but I'm seriously reconsidering my next purchase. I can't buy a new computer every couple of years or pay obscene amounts of money for repair. This is getting stupid. End of my rant. I can't really fault him for his anger here. Can you? Well, I'm interested in your perspective because obviously you used to work for a Mac repair shop. So I did, and and I saw this frustration. Did you, did you hear that? Yeah, did you hear this from a lot of your customers? I did. Uh, a lot of people would come in. Most of the machines, you can actually upgrade the RAM, but that's adding more RAM to it. Um, most of the machines, you can't replace the display. You have to order that directly from Apple, and mere mortals aren't able to do that. You can find them on the secondary market, i.e. eBay, if you will. And there's a few companies out there who actually specialize in um, OEM Apple products that you can get. Usually it's used. So you kind of take your chances there. But beyond that, mere mortals who don't have the proper training really shouldn't be trying to open their Macs anymore. No. They're, they're really and not fixable by mere humans. Now, there's some great and resources. I think, I, yeah, I think that's the key point, though. Yeah, I'll let you finish, but then I'll come back on that. Yep. There are some really great resources out there. For instance, a lot of people were complaining about, oh, well, the new Mac Pro, it looks great, but you can't you can't upgrade it or anything. Well, that's not really true. I saw something uh, from OWC, for instance, about upgrading the new Mac Pro. This machine's only been out a couple weeks, and this company already has products for it to upgrade it. Same thing with uh, the current generations of MacBook Pros and the new iMacs, where the screen is literally glued to the back of the machine. It's glued on there. So what do you do then? Well, uh, there are companies out there that provide 
how-to videos on how to take this apart and how to upgrade it. Now, you're not going to do that if you're an average person, but if you're a hardcore geek, it's an option. So there are options to do this kind of work on your machines, but it's not advisable. That's why yeah. it's so important, and I always push this when I was at that Apple store, it's or the Mac store, I should say. It's very important for people to get the extended warranty. I know it sucks. I'm not a big fan of extended warranties myself, but when it comes to Apple products, they really are worth it. One fix will pay for that warranty. Just one. Yeah. And unfortunately, you're going to be without the machine for a couple of days while it's being repaired. But it's just the way of the world. Now, as far as Eric yeah. goes, I, I completely get where he's coming from, David. If he's not married to the idea of a laptop, he could get PC stuff and make a Hackintosh. He could mm -hmm. go that route. But that's a desktop. I don't know if there's any Hackintosh laptops out there like there used to be. Yeah, there is. Is you there? Can get, I, 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 for instance, I bought uh, an IBM T61. Mm -hmm. uh, is it T? No, sorry, an X61. That's a Soviet which, era, uh, right? No, no, it's, it's uh, probably about four <laughs> years old ThinkPad. Yeah, yeah, I know it does sound a bit industrial, but it's, a, it's IBM. It's Lenovo. So what are you going to do? It's, they, the ThinkPads, they do sound a bit military. Yeah. Um, so this is like a 12-inch core to duo laptop um and i've seen online that it'll, it'll run up to line very very well indeed with probably about 10 minutes work that's the nice part is so. because apple is now using the same cpus as the rest of the yeah. industry that most of these pc laptops that you can get for relatively inexpensive 400 bucks i well at that particular machine i paid 65 pounds for mm -hmm. so that's about 120 dollars 110 dollars for a, uh, for a, it's a nice lap, nice little twelve-inch laptop. So for not very much money, you can have um, you can have that running uh, at least a version of Mac S Mac OS X. It's not the latest one. Um, so just to come back to what you said though, because um, I think it was very telling about what you said. You said for the average person, for the mere mortal, yep, you shouldn't be inside these machines. I no. think that is the key point. It is not that these machines cannot be repaired. It is just that they are difficult to repair. And I think that's a subtle difference. And I think it's an important difference that Eric needs to appreciate is that what he's complaining about is that it's not easy to repair it. He can't just get pick up a Phillips screwdriver, open a panel, change out his RAM, change out a hard drive, change out a battery. But the point is, with the right skills, and these skills are not unattainable, you don't need to have a machine shop and a service mount soldering kit and all this sort of things to do this stuff. It's just a bit of training, a couple of extra tools. And the reason that Apple uses odd screws and stuff like that is to try and discourage people who don't know what they're doing going in those That's machines. Absolutely right. Yeah. But the point is... Eric, if you wanted to, if he's really committed, it could take a little bit of training, get a couple of tools, and he would be well set up. And when you say to, training, we're just talking about going to YouTube. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you watching can go a few to videos. YouTube, or even if you're prepared to invest a little bit of money, you can go and get the the the, uh, the Apple training courses to repair these yeah, machines. No, that's that's um, that's four grand, dude. Well, yeah, but <laughs> four, four grand's a lot of money. But it you know is. what? If there are no Apple repair shops in Puerto Rico, and he becomes the only guy who can repair those things. You know what? That guy's got a business. Mm. That's, as long as that's he doesn't try to grand. do warranty stuff. But then how does he order anything? I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot more involved than that. But, yes, obsessively, if he wanted to invest I, a little bit into here. a yeah. side business, that wouldn't be a bad I know route. people here. 
who've done that training, run their own business, doing and do very well doing iPhone, iPad, uh, MacBook Air screen repairs. Yep. They do very, very nicely out Well, they didn't go to Apple say, for that training. But the point is the training is available. Sure. You can get it. You can, you, can do, you can learn how to do it and do it well and do a good job. The other thing is that sometimes, um, even with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of, of advice from the internet and YouTube, these things, if you've got a little bit of electrical knowledge and, you, and you've got a bit of skill, they're not that hard to do. I've done a... a a hard drive repair on a on an iMac that involved taking the screen out, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was hairy, but I did it, and the iMac concern works absolutely great now. And well, it's I talked about to- driving it. I talked about OWC. I used to do the voiceover yeah. for their installation videos, and they would show you how to take an iMac apart and pull out the optical drive so you could put the data doubler in there, so you can have literally two hard drives. I've done that with my iMac here at home. I didn't yeah. do it myself. And, uh, I was working at the Mac yeah. store at the time, and I had my service guys do it. But it's completely doable. And sometimes, you know, the reports by companies like iFixit, who who kind of have a an interest in complaining about how hard this is because yeah. they want people to be able to do those repairs, they kind of overhype how hard it is. It is. Absolutely, yes, they do. Yes, that machine might have a tri-wing screw, but you know what? Two ninety nine on eBay, and you'll have a true tri-wing screwdriver that I open up just fine. Yep. The yep. tools are available. For the pentalobe screws that the iPhones have on, the tools are available, and they're cheap. I have a uh, At home, I have a mid-2011 MacBook Air 13-inch. So not it's not a brand-new machine, but it's certainly it's, it's not millimiles different from, from the MacBook Air you buy today. It needs a new battery. It's doing that thing where it says uh, service battery on the screen. Right. And the battery life is certainly not what it was. Well, here's no, the I've thing, looked, David. To be, to, I've looked into this. To, to replace that battery, yeah, is the battery is easily available, and it's a five-minute job. Right. It's not hard. It's not glued in. It's not slathered in stuff. It's flip the thing over, undo a few screws, take the bottom off, unclip the battery, and put a new one in. It's easy. It's not as easy as replacing it in a dedicated bay, but it's easy. Here's the thing, David. Uh, having been in this industry for as long as i have like 20 years now it's always been the case that mere mortals will not fix their computers it's that's always been the case now it was easier back in the day back in the 90s absolutely easier and apple used to make machines that were very easy to upgrade and repair uh the g3 and g4 desktops for instance it's had that door that would just open up on the side and there's everything right there super easy but here's the thing mere mortals were scared to death of those as well yeah they were afraid they were going to break it they cost too much money and i'd rather pay someone that knows what they're doing to do it that's always been the case it's still the case today yeah and you're actually a lot better off now because back in the day those machines cost two and a half three thousand dollars yeah there was no way you were going to go in there no now, at least, you know, even if you're a complete ham-fisted buffoon and you take, you take your, your, your MacBook and you bust it and you've got to go out and buy a new one, at least your price of entry is, is not $3,000. Yeah, computers uh, are cheaper now, including Macs. Yeah. Um, people say, well, yeah, but no, they're exactly the same price. What, what I could get for, you know, 1200 bucks was the same one thing I can get for 1200 bucks now. Yeah, but we've had inflation. <laughs> yeah. So they are cheaper, actually. No, but here's I, I, I the don't, thing. Yeah. Um, That's still a lot, it's still a lot of money if you break a machine. Don't get it absolutely yeah, is. But here's the thing, David. The new machines from Apple 
And I can't speak to PCs in general because I came from a Mac store. But looking at how many machines Apple sells of Macs now compared to what they used to sell and how many repairs we would get in, these machines far and away are so much more, and I'm talking a factor of three or four, David. So, I mean, this is a, a very strong statement, okay? Are so much more reliable than they've ever been. They really, yeah. really are. They are so oh, much I, more reliable. Uh, there was whole generations of machine from Apple back in the day that, that you knew wouldn't last that long. I right. mean, iBook, iBook G-Force, the logic oh, yeah. pulls these, failed like it was going out of fashion. Yeah. Titanium power books were very, very weak. Yeah. Hinges always uh, broke on those. Yeah. Exploding batteries in the, <laughs> the old power books. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this has been a, a long-term problem for a long time with Apple stuff. It's not been reliable. And you know what? Machines from 10 years ago were no easy to fix. You might think they were, but they're not really. Go tr you, you, don't, you, want, you want to think that? Go try to change a, brand bat a pram battery on a 12-inch power book. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah? Or a screen. Those things are, yeah, those things are impossible to take apart. And it's not because they're glued together or they're thin. They are just incredibly hard to put together and take apart because they, the way they were designed. And, it's not, and it wasn't done to try and spite you. It was just at the time that was what the technology was required to Go buy a, a Mac 9500 and change a power supply. If you don't get yeah. at least one cut on your fingers or hand, you're yeah. doing an amazing job. Go to go 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 get a um, original clamship clamshell iBook G3 and change oh, the hard drive. Oh my god! <laughs> that Good luck was with such that. a pain. You had to take the you whole motherboard take, out. You got to take like, the entire thing to pieces. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this isn't a new problem, Eric. I do appreciate your frustration. Um, having a machine from 2008 that's gone bad and it's 2014, I think it's probably a pretty good run for that machine. Um, the swollen batteries and in a closed case, yeah, that's a bad thing. And it could literally damage your computer. It, it could bend the metal and all that. Yeah, I've seen them firsthand. That being said, either go Hackintosh route, switch over to Windows 8, and, and let us know how that is. See if, see if the frustration using Windows is compensated by how much less money you're going to spend for a cheap laptop. Uh, and um, what I will say is he won't get... Uh, uh, so 2006, 2014, so we're looking at eight years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go go buy go buy a laptop PC today and see if you're still using it eight years time because you won't be. Go go back eight years and buy go buy a used eight year old laptop and see what you can do with it today. Yeah. I mean it's uh I, I, I get your frustration. I, I share it in some respects. There's times that I want to do something on my machine, and I'm like, man, this was so much easier back in the day. It really was. But these machines are so much more reliable than they've ever been before. Apple's got a really good track record. For the last, I'm going to say, six, seven years of making really good quality machines. And I understand the frustration. I am kind of a modder at heart, as you are, David. We like to tinker. We like to take things apart. We would like to make it bigger, faster, stronger. And the new electronics really, they weren't built to do that. And we understand that. And we are, in some respects, kind of frustrated. But... I'll put that frustration aside in that they're more reliable. When one app crashes, the entire computer isn't locked up. Uh, the things that we have for online storage and, and 
backing up your stuff is so much easier now than it ever was before. You simply plug in a USB hard drive and Time Machine does its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about computers now are so much better, except they're not as usable as far as accessible to mere mortals to upgrade and fix. But let's be honest, Apple doesn't want you upgrading your computer. They want you to buy a new computer. That's just business. I mean, I understand your frustration, but, and it's not just aesthetics either. It's a business decision. They don't want you getting in there because you get in there, and I don't mean you personally, but you get in there and you start messing around with stuff. You get in over your head. Then you take it to the Apple store. They don't know what you've done. Now they're fixing it for free when you're the one that messed it up in the first place. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that Apple really doesn't want you to get into the guts of your own computer. But if yep. you really want to, you can. It's your computer. It's, look, it, we we all remember that that you know, forty, fifty years ago, TVs had tubes in, and you changed the tubes, and that was yeah. That but was you took your you life did. into your hands because you touched the back of that TV, and well, exactly. But you know, you could you could take them out, <laughs> you could go get them tested, you could change them, and then technology's evolved to the point where a TV is now a closed, sealed disposable device if something goes wrong with your tv it can't be repaired it has to be thrown mm-hmm. away in it and you have to buy a new one the same thing with refrigerators same thing with yeah. microwave well with cars you can cars you can't fig- yeah. i can't work on my car anymore i need no, to well, hook look, it up look. to a specialized computer to tell me what's wrong with the damn thing and i and i explained at the beginning of the show i'm having to get rid of my car yeah because, because a of handle. a door lock the, hand, the door handle's broken and the door handle is 650 pounds to replace that's right thousand dollars right yeah but that's the price we pay for commoditization of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's frustrating, particularly if the manufacturer concern lets you down or says it was out of warranty and, you know, you've just got to put up with it or buy something new. But, unfortunately, that's, that's the world we live in. You know what I'd say, Eric, is that um, as somebody who has a love of vintage technology, particularly vintage Macs, if, if you really want to stick with, with stuff that's easily upgradable and tinkerable, go out and buy some old Macs. Nah, he doesn't see want how much to. He wants he wants well, the latest and greatest. He just wants to be able to be assured if that if something happens to it, it can, he can fix it himself. Because he doesn't have the we, options in his area for someone to fix it for him. And I get well, that. But Apple's yeah. not alone in this you-can't-fix-it type of mentality. Like you said, yeah. if you buy a brand new you know, 50-inch television, Eric, you can't fix it. No matter what happens to it, you personally cannot fix that television. It's not you can't do it anymore. If you buy a brand new refrigerator and something goes wrong with it, you cannot fix it anymore. You just can't. And that's just the way of the world. Does it suck? In some respects. But we're spending a lot less money for a refrigerator when you include inflation in there than ever before. We're spending a lot less for computers. The thing with computers, Eric, is you do actually do have a choice. You can go with a cheap PC that's easily upgradable. But the trade-off is you're stuck in a Windows world or a Linux world. Ugh, who would want that on anybody? Linux, ugh. And then your frustration level goes up. So which, which is more important to you, your time or upgradability, fixability? I can't answer that for you. For me, no. my time is worth more money. But I live in an area where I can get it fixed pretty easily. So there you go. There's that. David, it's fun to do this again after, uh, man, the weather's been crazy here. So 
Yeah, and and I'm really sorry about last week because it was very last uh, last minute. And That's all right. Man, I was listening to what you're saying. I was welling up in the shower when I was listening to that. What was I saying? I don't remember. <laughs> when you're going on about 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 how you wouldn't do the show if I wasn't here. And oh yeah, no, that goes with. I I, I, I would assume you knew right that there, that would go without saying. No, I. I do tech fan, David, because it's you and I doing tech fan. I know. That's that's why I, I started I, it. Yeah. You know? I, I also enjoy uh I also enjoy the, the talk every week and the back and forth. It's uh, I, I agree. I something I look forward to. I'll be honest, I don't care that it's called tech fan. As long as you and I are doing the show, that's what I enjoy doing. Yep. And uh, I'm in a position where, you know, I, I'm not gonna give up the show for any other show. I'm just not. Now, I'm going to be obviously paid to do this other show. Um, and it's going to be a job, but that's not going to take away from this show. In fact, this show will help the other show by building an audience for it quicker. And uh, I just really like this conversation that we get to have. And we got that feedback uh, last week, I think I read, where the gentleman was talking about you and I don't always agree, uh, but we're mm-hmm. respectful of our each other's opinions and uh you know I, I think that just comes from friendship and we live how many miles apart two thousand three thousand miles apart three thousand something yeah. like that, yeah. and we've met in person three times mm-hmm. yeah and i consider you one of my best friends so yeah, I, that's too. that's what i love about this show the time we get to spend together uh, yeah i don't like the fact that my wife has to take the kids in the summertime and, and leave the house so we can do the show or you know, recently the weather's been so bad, wind chills, negative 25 degrees, that school is closed and my wife can't really take the kids anywhere and thus we can't do the show. <laughs> Those things happen, but just the fact that knowing that we're going to get back together next week or the week after and be able to sit down and talk and record it and have a good time, that's what Tech Fan's about for me. Me too. Uh, what I suggest you do is go and let the kids in from the porch because I'm sure they're very cold now. <laughs> school, actually, right now. <laughs> This was the first week since twenty twelve, uh, twenty thirteen. This is the first week they went to school every day for the whole week. That's how bad the weather has been here. Think about that. We're in February, and this is the first full week of school since December. <laughs> crazy. What's going crazy? It is. It's the end of the world. All right. Go enjoy the Olympics. I'll talk to you next week. Speak to you then.